Welcome to New Books in Religion. I'm your host, Lindsay Jackson. Countless sociological studies and surveys present a rather bleak picture of religion and religious engagement in the United States. Attendance at worship services remains very low, and approximately one quarter of Americans indicate that they are not affiliated with any religion. This trend extends to the Jewish community, and American Jews are also experiencing decreasing synagogue attendance and low levels of adherence. However, Jack Wertheimer presents an alternative reading of American Jewish life in his new book, The New American Judaism, How Jews Practice Their Religion Today, published by Princeton University Press. Wertheimer argues that American Jews are indeed engaging with Judaism, albeit in unique and unorthodox ways. Wertheimer analyzes how American values and phenomena, such as hyper-individualism and do-it-yourself religion, are impacting the ways in which American Jews practice the religion and have paved the way for new forms and expressions of Judaism. Wertheimer also demonstrates how synagogues and congregational rabbis are responding to the shifting needs of American Jews. Although many Jews do not attend synagogue on a regular basis and may not observe many traditional commandments or mitzvot, American Jews are not necessarily abandoning Judaism. Rather, they are engaging with their religion in ways that are conducive with their unique values, beliefs, and lifestyles, and by extension, are creating a new form of American Judaism. Jack Wertheimer is Joseph and Martha Mendelssohn Professor of American Jewish History at the Jewish Theological Seminary in New York City. Hello, Jack, and welcome to the New Books Network. Thank you, Lindsay. It's a pleasure to be with you. So at the beginning of your book, you make a strong case that religion in the U.S., broadly speaking, not just Judaism, is in a recession. What is causing this recession, and how is this recession manifesting itself in the Jewish community? So... uh Let's let's put the uh, the question into a, a broader American context first, and perhaps even Western context. Uh, religion uh, in the twenty first century uh, in the Western world, and especially the, we can add the United States, uh, has um, gone through a difficult time. Um, the reasons are multiple. Um, one of them certainly has to do with the fact that uh, religious leaders of various religions um, have gotten themselves into trouble uh, engaging in uh, unethical, in some cases in illegal activities, and that's brought uh, a lot of criticism down upon uh, religious leaders and raised levels of skepticism about their wisdom. Um, that's one factor. Uh, but another factor is that we're living in an age of uh, what's often referred to as the new atheism, um, where atheists have gone on the offensive in very public ways uh, to challenge religion, uh, to ridicule uh, religious people as either deluded or simply foolish. Um, and uh, that context uh, also does, has not helped religious life. Um, and then beyond that, um, um, the larger culture, um, certainly liberal culture, doesn't seem to have very much appreciation uh, for religion. Uh, it was interesting, actually, we're speaking, you and I are speaking um, roughly a week after the uh, terrible tragedy of the uh, uh, conflagration at, the, at Notre Dame in Paris. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was quite fascinating that... Um, uh, even non-religious people um, resonated to that in, in the sense of uh, recognizing that something very important to the cultural legacy of Europe uh, was uh, potentially being lost. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, uh, it's not clear to me that uh, generally religion is regarded as part of the cultural legacy of the West, uh, let alone a valuable part of that, of that uh, culture. Um, so that's that's a, a broader background, um, and then in, specifically uh, within Jewish life, uh, those factors do all play a role. Uh, but specifically in, in Jewish life, in addition to that, um, uh, other aspects have uh, manifested themselves, which we do see uh, reflections of in, in uh, American Christianity um, as well, and that is uh, the whole. Um, uh, rise in significance of what's referred to often as do-it-yourself religion, um, uh, people concocting their own variations of what religion really is, um, 
that's been a process that's been going on for a period of time, uh, but it's really taken off in, in this uh, new century of ours. Um, and um, uh, it's, that's also a reflection of the weakening of religious authority so that the authority rests within uh, the individual, not uh, in some kind of uh, uh, religious institutions, uh, let alone uh, higher offices of religious officials. Uh, so that has challenged uh, religious life um, uh, as well uh, in general, and its effect in American Judaism too. Um, I think I'll pause at that at this point. Okay, perfect. Um, so the terminology, at least for me, so you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the terminolo terminology of recession seems to imply that religious observance operates on a cycle um, and following a recession will be a renewal or an increase in religious observance. And is this, I'm wondering, is this the implication that you intended with the use of that term? It's a great question. Um, uh, I don't know how much attention I paid to the cyclical <laughs> nature of things, but um, my book does stress both the um, the, the recession aspect, uh, evidence of this uh, declining interest um, and do-it-yourself kind of religion approach. But the last section of the book deals with uh, uh, nodes uh, where one can find uh, evidence of religious renewal. Um, whether that that uh, those nodes will expand, uh, whether they will have an impact on the larger population of Jews uh, is one of the great questions uh, that we don't have the answer to as yet. Uh, but certainly um, what I try to stress is that, um, that there are serious challenges facing American Judaism, and for, we can expand that to talk about American religion in general, uh, but it's not as if religious leaders and institutions are just lying down and playing dead. Um, they are rethinking. Um, they are uh, actively involved in, in uh trying to renew religious services, for example, and the way in which they're conducted, um, and thinking about ways in which uh, in this new age, technology can be harnessed um, to, to draw in uh, more Jews. Um, and uh, yet we don't yet know whether the next phase will look very different, um, but certainly um, there are people who are operating on the assumption that um, that there will be a next phase and that uh, that there is every reason to think that uh, some Jews will be uh, attracted or re-attracted to Jewish religious life. So can you expand upon some of the um, some of the evidence you marshal, I guess, at the end of the book that um, to sort of highlight that there is that religion isn't dying, so to speak, and that Jews are engaging, albeit maybe in different ways with um with judaism you mentioned technologies of technology and um revitalizing i guess um services but you talk about other things in the, at the end of the book so i'm wondering if you could expand a little bit on that right well i, I do want to begin actually with what synagogues are doing uh and i want to stress that because um there um there is a um, a myth that's being propagated that synagogues are finished um, the same thing is being said about churches, uh, especially in Europe. Um, uh, and certainly we see evidence of a decline in attendance uh, in both synagogues as well as in, in churches. Um, the growth of the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, uh, mm -hmm. in American uh, religious uh, population studies is evidence also of a distancing uh, from religion. But that having been said, uh, synagogues, and we could say the same thing about churches, uh, are in fact working hard to um, reinvigorate their religious services, um, create far more hospitable environments, um, um, and uh, in the process uh, in, engage uh, individuals uh, to the point where they feel that they're part of a vital uh, community. Uh, though, as I mentioned, those things are going on in, in church circles and they're going on very much in synagogues too. Uh, beyond that, there are two other such nodes that I want to make reference to. One of them is um, the remarkable efflorescence of um, what uh, I have termed uh, Orthodox Jewish outreach. 
uh, Orthodox mm-hmm. Jews are investing considerable amount of time and energy uh, in uh, interacting uh, with Jews who are not as uh, engaged with religious life as they are. Um, uh, there are thousands of uh, Orthodox Jews uh, who are involved in this uh, enterprise on a full-time basis, others on a part-time basis. Um, these are not only uh, quote-unquote professional Jews, uh, but they mm-hmm. are uh, lay people as well. Um, they're not giving up uh, on trying to draw people into um, uh religious institutions or settings for religious congregating. And I, I'm distinguishing here between um, synagogues uh, and these other types of, of settings, which brings me to the third such node, and that is a great deal of attention is being focused also, uh, especially on millennials. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of hand-wringing about the millennials, uh, how they will uh connect not only with religious life, but also uh, in other areas of American civic life. Um, Whether the hand-wringing is justified or not is a separate question, but um, there's been an upsurge in programs uh, that have been founded in part uh, by millennials themselves, uh, who have become leaders of new types of, uh, again, I'm calling them settings for religious um congregating uh they're not formally synagogues they may mm-hmm. meet in offbeat places uh in clubs in uh bookstores uh, uh e- even in bars um and again we have the same phenomenon occurring uh in uh in uh protestant sectors of uh of the united states um and um in one one particular uh, group even met in a bowling alley on the Jewish high holidays. Um, wow. The idea is to kind of uh, break down uh, certain preconceptions of what uh, a setting for religious congregation congregating should look like, um, and uh, in the process perhaps uh, enable people to relate differently. Um, now, these places often tend to be experimental. Um, both in terms of the music that they use, the way in which they appropriate aspects of the liturgy, invent new liturgies. Um, and again, much of it is being directed at, at millennials. Um, on one level, that's not entirely a new phenomenon. Uh, baby boomers uh, back in the 60s and 70s did something similar, uh, not exactly the same, but similar uh, so we're seeing again an attempt to reach out to a particular uh, generational cohort. Um, and so these are uh, th- three areas where I see a good deal of, of inv- investment uh, in, mm-hmm. in renewal. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, I have a specific question about um, methodology and more specifically your choice of sample population for your study. Um, so you mentioned in your introduction, I believe that you interviewed over 160 rabbis um, th- throughout the U.S. for the study. Um, and of course, in any research project, we have to limit the scope of our study. Um, and as a result, we need to make choices about who we include and who we don't include or who we interview or and, who we, and who we can't interview. So I wonder if you could elaborate on your choice to interview rabbis rather than also interviewing practitioners. Um, and I'm, I wonder specifically what we can learn from rabbis about how Jews practice their religion and what potentially would be the drawbacks of using rabbis as your primary group of informants. Sure. That, that, that is a fair question. And I do address it, as you note, uh, mm-hmm. in, in my introduction. Um, uh, I, I'm, I'd be the first to uh, tell you that it, it would be very worthwhile to interview large numbers of, uh, you use the word practitioners, I use the word lay people, uh, mm-hmm. average Jews, if you will, which is not mm-hmm. meant pejoratively at all uh, on my part. Um, uh, that's a very labor-intensive and, frankly, expensive enterprise, um, and I had neither the time nor the resources to do that. Uh, mm-hmm. I hope that others will, will pick up that baton and, and, uh, and uh, run with it. Um, that having been said, um, I, uh, it's not as if I haven't spoken to lay people. Uh, mm-hmm. I attend synagogues. Uh, I've attended many 
dozens, if not hundreds, actually, over the course of uh, my career. Uh, and I've spoken to many hundreds, if not thousands of lay people, but not as in, in terms of formal interviews. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but for the, this particular book, I felt it important uh, to get a perspective on the, from the synagogue level. And, and here I need to take a step back for a moment. I actually wrote uh, a, a different book that appeared uh, in 1992, um, in which I gave my take on uh, Jewish religious life in America. The, the title of that volume is uh, A People Divided, Judaism mm -hmm. in Contemporary America. Well, contemporary then meant in the early 90s. Um, <laughs> and um, what was striking to me and, and, and actually uh, inspired me to, um, uh, to write this book, uh, the new book that is, is that as mm -hmm. I reflected on, as I reflected on um, the, um, uh, that earlier book, uh, I realized that were I to write about Judaism in, in today's contemporary America, uh, I'd have to write a totally different book. Um, mm -hmm. And so I decided to do precisely that. And what, what um, I also realized was that um, I devoted a, too much attention in retrospect on um, what was happening on the elite level, if you will, uh, mm -hmm. what what the, uh, the major religious organizations were saying, uh, the types of debates that were taking place between rabbis uh, over religious issues. Um, and um, uh, though I certainly didn't ignore uh, what was happening uh, amongst the laity, uh, that was not my primary focus. And I felt that uh, in the process of doing that, I missed some very important developments. Uh, so I resolved uh, in this book, uh, the new one, uh, to uh, focus much more sharply on what's happening on the ground in synagogues yeah. or in other places for religious gathering. Uh, and then the question is, well, how, am I, how will I get to that? Uh, and I decided that I was going to speak with rabbis. I experimented with a bit. And to my surprise, I learned a great deal from every single interview. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I don't mean to suggest by that that rabbis are omniscient, uh, that they know everything that's going mm -hmm. on amongst their congregants. They'd be the first to admit that they don't. But they also... Um, um, seem to know a, a goodly amount about uh, their congregants. Uh, and certainly I, when I would ask them, you know, what types of questions are brought to you? Uh, what is your sense of how religion mm -hmm. is expressed in the homes of your congregants? They had a pretty good idea that they, they were able to answer those questions. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, I, that's, that's the course I embarked upon. Um, and uh, I try to focus on, um, uh, or rather to, to maintain a, a broad focus, so that uh, I spoke with rabbis uh, across the Jewish religious spectrum um, and um, throughout the country. Um, so uh, that, that, that was my research strategy. But I do want to emphasize that uh, though I, the book is sprinkled with quotations and references to those interviews, uh, the book is not primarily based upon interviews, but based upon uh, many hundreds of newspaper articles and uh, mm -hmm. let alone other kinds of research, uh, blogs and the like. Um, so there's a lot of uh, material that, that's in the public domain um, that I was able to draw upon. Wonderful. Thank you for that. Um, so the next question I'm going to ask you, we've sort of answered it in bits and pieces, but I want to ask you um, more pointedly this question. Um, one of the trends that you point out in, throughout the book, um, and we've already talked about it here, is declining synagogue attendance. Um, and this trend is seen less in Orthodox congregations, but it is a trend across the board. Um, why are we seeing a decrease in synagogue attendance and membership, and how are rabbis attempting to boost participation, which you've started, you've started to talk about already? Right, right. So there are, there's no single answer to that question. Um, uh, to just to introduce some level of, uh, of, of background here, um, mm -hmm. 
when studies have been conducted over the course of roughly the past 70 years um, of American religious behavior and particularly uh, church slash synagogue attendance, uh, every single survey going back to the 40s and the 50s and the 60s indicated that roughly half the percentage of Jews um, who claim to attend uh, have attended synagogue on a regular basis. Uh, I should rephrase that. Um, half, half the po- half the, the the population. No, I've got to rephrase it again. Uh, <laughs> twice as many Christians claim to attend mm. uh, to attend church uh, on an average Sunday um, as did uh, Jews who claim to attend synagogue on an average uh, Sabbath. Uh, mm-hmm. Saturday, Friday night or, or Saturday, so that uh, it's not. This is not a, a, a completely new phenomenon that uh, Jews uh, in this country have not streamed to uh, synagogues at, at very high rates. That having been said, um, there is a decline, as you note, noted, uh, across the the Jewish spectrum, a lot less so in terms of orthodoxy. Um, mm-hmm. of, um, of regular synagogue attendance. And regular can be defined as once a week or s- at least several times a month. Um, and the percentage of Jews who attend infrequently two, three times a year, primarily on the high holidays, that percentage has gone up. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so that, that's, that's just in terms of the the. the, the, the demographics of it all. But back to the question of, of why. So some of it has to do with um, questions of belief and, and also an ability to relate to the religious service. Um, um, Jews have not, are not bashful about speaking to their rabbis about their skepticism uh, regarding questions of religious belief. Um, and in fact, uh, re- uh, belief does not um, mm-hmm. occupy the same uh, place in Judaism as it does, for example, in, in Christianity. Uh, behavior, uh, ritual performance is regarded as uh, much more significant a measure of Jewish religious involvement than is belief. Uh, I give the example in the book uh, of a friend of mine uh, who told me that um, uh, he grew up in an Orthodox family. Uh, his father was an Orthodox Jew. And my friend told me that he could not recall any time when his father ever spoke to him about God. Uh, mm-hmm. But his father was an observant, ritually observant Jew. Um, and um, this whole question of the extent to which uh, God talk, as it's often referred to, um, is present in synagogues, um, uh, is, is part of the story uh, because there are people who will say very explicitly to their rabbis, don't talk to me about God. I don't want to hear about that. Um, there are other issues that they will want to hear about. Ethics, uh, responsibility uh, to the larger society, um, questions of that sort. And yes, Israel, uh, these are things mm-hmm. that, that Jews are more likely to want to hear about. So that's, that's on one level. Um, on another level, though, I think that uh, what has to be understood is that uh, Jewish religious services are conducted primarily in the Hebrew language, mm-hmm. uh, and um, the, pop- the, the proportion of the Jewish population that feels comfortable w- with the Hebrew language, that can uh, literally can read the prayer book in Hebrew, that proportion has gone down, and that has to do with Jewish educational uh, institutions and their inability uh, for a variety of reasons to uh, educate younger Jews um, so that they are uh, much more... Um, literate uh, in, in reading Hebrew and let alone having synagogue skills. Uh, so then you have the situation where um, very well-educated uh, individuals who may be doctors and lawyers and accountants and other kinds of professionals um, walk into a synagogue and suddenly feel somewhat ignorant because they really 
can't follow the service. And that doesn't feel so mm -hmm. good, which is a, another good reason for people to absent themselves. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, and then of course, there is the, the other phenomenon which cuts across so much of our lives in general, uh, which is that we're all so busy. Uh, who has time mm -hmm. for something like that? Uh, the over-programming, uh, let alone the compulsive nature of our constantly looking at our smartphones and our other gadgets. Uh, and I have heard from rabbis whom I interviewed about um, people taking their smartphones out and uh, whatever it is, looking at their email, um, perhaps sending emails, checking out the news in the middle of religious services. Um, mm -hmm. That's those who, who do show up. Um, but this, uh, the, 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 that we're so over-programmed and we are always so busy, uh, that certainly is also affecting attendance in general, I think, uh, at religious uh, institutions, whether they're churches or, or they're synagogues. Um, mm -hmm. I'm sure there are other uh, aspects of this too. Maybe they'll come up a little bit later on. But now to the other part of your question, which was, so what are synagogues and rabbis trying to do about this? Um, and there uh, I came across considerable evidence of um, an enormous investment of time and energy and thought in um, uh, the, the way in which the religious service is conducted. Um, everything from um, the, the music that accompanies the liturgy. And here, too, you know, we see parallels uh, of this uh, within churches, uh, New, new types of compositions, uh, new types of instrumentation or different instruments that are used um, uh, are one aspect of it. Uh, but also what comes under the category of, of choreography, which is uh, the way in which the service is conducted, who stands where, uh, how, how the congregants are configured, uh, the number of synagogues, for example, who are tearing out their fixed pews and instead placing uh, movable chairs uh, into mm -hmm. the space so that rather than uh, only seeing the back of the heads of the people seated in front of you, you actually can look across and you're facing, well, you see human faces facing you, um, mm -hmm. which is a way of, of, uh, of building community. And the, the third piece of this has to do with um, what uh, one writer uh, by the name of Ron Wolfson, who's a colleague of mine teaching on the West Coast, uh, refers to relational as relational Judaism. Uh, and simply put, what that means is to create a sense of community uh, within synagogues where people feel that they are recognized, that they're valued, that their presence is acknowledged, um, and that in general, synagogues become more hospitable uh, places. Uh, mm -hmm. And a lot of energy has gone into uh, into that. So those are a few examples. Um, uh, I think that the characteristic of what's happened in synagogues uh, is something that we see parallels to also in churches, and that is the extent to which uh, in their um, web uh, uh, sites, um, synagogues will state um, that uh, they are a caring community, um, mm -hmm. that they are uh, an inclusive community, um, that they welcome all kinds of Jews, uh, regardless of family configuration, regardless of sexual orientation. Uh, all of that, again, is designed to uh, encourage people to feel that uh, this is a, a new kind of um, mood, if you will, uh, or atmosphere that's being created in, in, in synagogues. Um, and there is evidence that uh, at least at some synagogue services, there has been a, uh, an uptick uh, in attendance. It's not every week, uh, but it may be once a month that larger numbers of, of congregants uh, show up uh, for the synagogue service. Um, wonderful. Thank you. I'm wondering if you could elaborate a little bit on the notion of inclusivity in synagogues, because, well, you talk about this in the book and in inclusivity for each synagogue means different things. Um, but it of course comes with, a, I'm not sure I would say attention, but it comes with maybe baggage where, but by being inclusive for some communities, boundaries are blurred and, 
you can cause a rift in your congregation by including certain folks or what have you. Can you maybe unpack this notion of inclusivity and how um, and how it can it could potentially be a problem for some congregations? Um, but I'll preface it by saying that um, um, uh, this is uh, controversial territory we're entering now, and I'm acknowledging okay. I'm acknowledging that I'm not shying away from it. I'm acknowledging it. Um, and I also want to state that the causal relationships here um, are not all that clear. Uh, that having been said, um, to give you just two uh, uh, examples um, of what, what inclusion means. Uh, um, going back to the last century, uh, what inclusion meant primarily then was um, the, uh, the egalitarian or the equal treatment of uh, women and men in the synagogue. Uh, synagogues traditionally, uh, uh, I'm going back now, hundreds of years, mm-hmm. uh, have been the domain of men. Um, that uh, certainly changed over the course of the modern era. Uh, but uh, what uh, w- women uh, were, in quotation marks, allowed uh, to do uh, as part of the religious service um, was quite limited. Um, it was a big breakthrough, for example, um, when conservative synagogues and then reformed synagogues um, uh, permitted um, uh, girls who had reached puberty to celebrate a bat mitzvah uh, parallel to boys uh, who had reached the age of puberty, 8, 13, uh, celebrating their bar mitzvah. Um, that was a development uh, of the middle decades of the 20th century. Um, and it kind of uh, opened the door and, and raised questions about, well, great, so these girls were able to participate when they were 13. Uh, once they were, uh, with, with they, they became adults, they were again relegated to a, uh, a role as, as, as audience members and not as full participants. And so um, there were many battles that were fought, of course, uh, in uh First, reform uh, temples, and then in conservative synagogues, um, as to uh, the extent to which women could participate, um, it is quite uh, at this point uh, within those movements, uh, women's equality is is something that is now assumed, uh, including the fact that women are ordained as rabbis and serve as cantors also. Um, so that, that's one example of, of inclusion that has occurred. Um, the complication is that we're seeing uh, another development. And again, I'll, I'll state that what the cause and effect is uh, cannot be precisely stated, but uh, we are seeing that men um, are checking out, uh, hmm. that um, there are far fewer ma- males who attend religious services. Uh, that is especially true in the reform movement, which has been the most uh, eager to be egalitarian. Um, what are we to make of that? Um, and um, uh, there, there are different views that are expressed on that, but I, I don't want to weigh too deeply uh, into that. But that's an example of kind of the flip side, potentially, of inclusion. To give you another example, what inclusion today uh, has come to mean also is the inclusion of intermarried families. That is to say, families in which uh, there is a Jewish partner uh, and there is a non-Jewish partner, whether that non-Jewish partner identifies with Christianity or with Islam or with Buddhism or whatever religion um, will vary. Um, uh, And certainly there's been an effort to uh, reach out uh, to those types of families, uh, to encourage them to attend um, to the point of saying that, you know, there's a place for you here. And there's a place here in the synagogue for uh, non-Jews as well who uh, would like to accompany their Jewish spouse or partner. Um, But that in turn has raised all kinds of very difficult questions about, um, well, to what extent uh, will uh, people who are not adherents of Judaism uh, be permitted 
to participate in the religious service, by which I mean reading, uh, leading prayers uh, in, in the synagogue, mm-hmm. serving as full-time voting members of a congregation, serving on committees that make policy decisions, including ritual policy decisions for uh, a synagogue. Um, uh, those are, 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 are pressing issues that are that have become very complicated in quite a number of, uh, of synagogues. Again, the intention of inclusion uh, was uh, and is well-meaning, but it's not as if it arises without any complications. Um, I'll add one other uh, element of inclusion, although I'm not suggesting that it has led to um, uh, uh, similar types of challenges, uh, but inclusion, of course, means in the inclusion of families um, uh, in which uh, are the same uh, same sexual orientation, for example, gays mm-hmm. and lesbians, mm-hmm. uh, and um, uh, gays and lesbians had had attended synagogues in the past, but not openly so, and not as couples. Um, there too, uh, questions were raised about the extent to which rabbis, for example, should officiate uh, at weddings. Um, of, mm-hmm. uh, of uh, homosexual couples, uh, and uh, that has been an issue that's been hotly debated. Um, uh, and again, it, it's a cause for controversy. Uh, I'm not suggesting that it has uh, created the same kind of challenges as the other two items that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm, certainly. Um I'm going to shift our conversation slightly. You mentioned something earlier that I want us to unpack um, now. That, that is do-it-yourself religion or do-it-yourself Judaism. Um, other things you mentioned in the book um, that you unpack really nicely are, well, a set of isms, as you call them, um, that are that you argue are highly maybe antithetical to traditional religion. And these are one of them being do-it-yourself-ism, um, individualism, personalism, etc. So I'm wondering if you can maybe unpack some of these terms for us and explain how they are impacting American Jewish practice and just religious practice more generally. Right. Well, again, uh, just by for the purpose of context, uh, uh, Judaism is not unique in, in facing um, these kinds of challenges. Um, they, th- th- these challenges stem um, from the, the, um, the, the major dynamic uh, of modern life, which um, is the expansion of choice. Uh, the late uh, sociologist of religion, Peter Berger, um, stressed that point. Uh, that that's even the defining element for him of, of modernity, of the expansion of choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's been especially the case in the United States, uh, where we pride ourselves on our individualism. Um, and um, uh, we uh, often, um, our, our culture, our films, our literature, uh, often idealizes the rugged individualist, uh, uh, as an example, uh, so th- there's a there's a larger cultural context, in other words, for this, uh, and that has affected religion uh, in general. Uh, the complication for Judaism, at least as I understand it, is that, to put it in very perhaps overly simple terms, um, Judaism used to be regarded uh, by Jews as a as a package deal. Uh, in the sense that there were a package of ritual observances, of holidays, of do's and don'ts, um, of commandments and prohibitions that were understood to be um, at the heart of, of, of Judaism, the religion. Um, mm. And um, there were, of course, many Jews who didn't uh, observe all of those rituals uh, or uh, may not have observed any of them, but they still understood that that's what Judaism is. It's a, it's a discipline, if you will. It has, it has its do's and don'ts. Um, and it, uh, it lays out um, a way of, of living. Um, what has happened is that with the, um, increasing level of individualism within our society, um, 
the culture has, if you will, unleashed us uh, to the point where nobody's going to tell me what to do. Uh, nobody's going to tell me what religion is. Um, and I hearken back to a work that appeared uh, in uh, the mid-1980s that at the time made quite an impact, a uh, work of sociology uh, titled Habits of the Heart. Um, and the famous uh, example uh, that the authors of that book uh, cited, Robert Bellow was the lead author of the book, um, uh, and the example that was cited was of a woman whom they named Sheilism, who defined her religion mm -hmm. as just her own inner voice. And the point that they made mm -hmm. was that using that kind of logic, uh, America then consisted of whatever the population of the time was, 250, 270 million different religions. Um, and... Um, <laughs> We, we have uh, proceeded uh, along those lines. Uh, and so uh, what we find is that, um, uh, that this notion of a package deal uh, is something mm -hmm. that has been uh, rejected. And rather, um, Judaism is now understood as um, whatever I think it is, uh, whatever mixture I put together, um, uh, that's what Judaism is. And no one external to me, no commanding voice of God, or to use a Jewish vocabulary of Sinai, uh, where the Torah mm -hmm. was given, uh, will tell me what Judaism, my Judaism, uh, ought, ought to be. Uh, so that's been uh, a very significant shift. And it's led to quite a number of very interesting, if not somewhat strange, uh, admixtures. Uh, and I, I uh, mention, I give a couple of examples of this, uh, where, for example, we are, as, as you and I are speaking now, uh, Jews around the world are celebrating the holiday of Passover, um, mm -hmm. which begins uh, with a Seder. Uh, in many places, it begins with two uh, Seders that are held on, on two e separate e evenings. Um, but what we're learning is that there are populations of Jews in this country um, who will hold the Seder uh, when they see fit. It so happens that this year the first Seder mm -hmm. fell on a Friday night and the second on a Saturday night. But what happens if it falls on a Wednesday and Thursday night? Or, mm -hmm. um, and the answer is, well, that, that doesn't really fit my schedule very well. It's much easier to gather the family together on a weekend, so we are going to celebrate on a Friday night or a Saturday night. That kind of thing uh, mm -hmm. is occurring. Uh, or other kinds of combinations. Uh, for example, of uh, uh, an individual who um, uh, is punctilious about uh, praying uh, every morning, uh, engaging in, in, Jew in traditional Jewish prayer every morning, but uh, declares to his rabbi that he thinks that keeping kosher is just uh, beyond absurd. Um, so it's it's uh, well, you know, why is one absurd and the other is is not? Um, and the answer is because that's what individual people have decided upon. Um, so we have these uh, th this do-it-yourself approach, um, and uh, some of the uh, the types of startups that I mentioned uh, earlier are actually trying to work with this in the sense of saying, you don't have to buy the whole package, but why don't you just come for on a Friday night for a Sabbath dinner? Uh, why don't you just try out attending a synagogue on, um, on the evening of uh, the Day of Atonement um, and just give it a try? Uh, you don't have to buy the entire package. Um, and uh, the hope there is, is that individuals will find those compelling and perhaps add to the types of ritual religious observances that, um, that they find uh, appealing. But certainly this is, a, this is a tension that exists. And here I would add only that uh, while uh, various types of Orthodox Jews have been much more successful uh, in transmitting their religious beliefs to the next generation. Uh, the Orthodox world is beginning to struggle with uh, this do-it-yourselfism to an extent as mm. well, um, and um, uh, because it's part of the larger culture that we uh, that, that mm -hmm. Jews uh, 
uh, identify with. And so on my, the last comment I'll make on this is that um, I'm of the belief that um, religion, not only Judaism, but religion needs to be somewhat countercultural. Uh, I'm not talking about a lack of allegiance to the, the government. I'm not talking about mm-hmm. shirking civic responsibilities. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I am talking about is not necessarily um, identifying with every aspect of and every fad, I'll say, uh, of the current culture, because we know that the culture moves on. And what is mm-hmm. uh, is valued today by the larger culture may not be valued tomorrow. And I believe that there are aspects of the Jewish religious culture that uh, that have staying power and ought to be um, ought to be valued. Mm-hmm. Um, another trend that you point to in your book is, um, I guess, decreasing denominational affiliation. So I'm wondering if what role, if any, do denominations assume in the lives of ordinary Jews? So again, I, I'm going to start with the the big picture, mm-hmm. uh, which is that um, uh, the United States has excelled uh, in um, uh, producing um, probably the largest number of Protestant denominations uh, than in any other country in the world. Uh, you're mm-hmm. speaking from Canada. You you certainly can correct me if I'm mistaken about this, um, but. Um, uh, uh, that that's the that's the uh, the context for developments of in American Judaism also, where more um, distinctive denominations and this is a Protestant term but by the way that we're using here applying mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. the Jewish case uh, have emerged than in any other country, um, and the purpose of um, uh, Protestant denominations is primarily um, to um, give voice to particular understandings of what the liturgy ought to be in churches and what the theology ought to be. Uh, in Judaism, it's not only a matter of theology and, uh, if you will, the, the way in which the worship service is conducted, um, but uh, there are other aspects of, uh, of belief and identification that, that distinguish the denominations. The, the primary role of these denominations uh, is to serve as an umbrella for the synagogues that identify with a particular package uh, of understandings, theology, maybe even ideology, uh, but also to provide certain services uh, to Jews who I, uh, are members of, uh, of congregations that belong. Um, so, for example, the denominations run uh, summer camps, residential summer camps. Uh, they uh, run educational programs for uh, younger people as well as adults. Um, they uh, run uh, trips to Israel. Um, they uh, provide services to their congregations, helping or offering advice and help. Uh, and also laying out certain guidelines as to, well, this is what a reform temple ought to look like and how it ought to conduct itself. Uh, so those are the services that the denominational uh, offices provide. Uh, how much of an impact uh, these denominations have on the average Jew um, is uh, something that we uh, can be quite skeptical about. I am skeptical about. And I say this having spoken to denominational leaders in Judaism uh, who don't disagree with me on that. Um, the average Jew really doesn't know what these denominations and their organizations do uh, or necessarily are saying, except when highly controversial mm-hmm. issues uh, arise. Um, mm-hmm. That having been said, um, there there is a role to be played, I believe, by these denominations in uh, setting up certain parameters, um, in encouraging certain types of uh, discussions amongst the leaders of their synagogues um, so that people can be, at least the elite can be on the same page uh, and can answer certain questions. And as I said before, to also play a role uh, in, uh, in the education of young people. Um, that's, I think, where, especially with young people, that's where 
the there's the closest contact uh, between uh, the denominational organizations uh, and the average Jew. Wonderful, thank you. So I have a f- three more questions left for you. If we have time, if not, I'll just ask two of them. Um, how much is American Judaism and American Jewish practices influenced by the Protestant majority? Uh, that's a great question. I, I, uh, I'll, I'll tell you a story at my own expense. Um, <laughs> I uh, have had the privilege of um, attending quite a number of meetings with colleagues um, who study American religion in general. Uh, mm-hmm. whether they study Catholicism or Protestant, various Protestant denominations uh, or Islam in America um, or uh, Hindus in America, for example. Um, and at those meetings, uh, when I first began, I used to use the term the Americanization of, of Judaism mm-hmm. and then <clears throat> sometimes also the Protestantization of Judaism. Mm-hmm. And my colleagues, who were authorities on Protestantism, <laughs> looked at me quizzically. What do you mean by that? We can't figure out what really, you know, is the defining feature of Protestantism. And there's so many variations. Uh, that having been said, um, I, I think that there certainly are American models uh, that have affected Judaism. Um, we don't necessarily have to link them solely to Protestantism. Uh, But Mm -hmm. to take an obvious example, uh, we can talk about democratization. Synagogues traditionally were not democratic institutions. Uh, They were basically Mm -hmm. run by the wealthy. Um, uh, The American model is a much more democratic one. You've got to hold elections. Now, that's not to say that rich people don't have an undue influence uh, in in synagogues, for example. Um, But uh, at least there is an attempt to to allow people to vote uh, for their leaders. Uh, mm-hmm. The notion of volunteerism, uh, that's an American uh, uh, terminology uh, and, and approach to religion. You can volunteer to belong, or you can volunteer not to belong, or you can, in other words, not volunteer. Um, those have made their way into Jewish life uh, as well. Uh, and then, as, as I said earlier, uh, the, the, the whole notion of, uh, if you will, fragmenting uh, Jews or into uh, or uh, or categorizing Jews rather into different denominational boxes, uh, that too uh, takes its uh, uh, inspiration, if you will, uh, from Protestantism. But there's pushback against that. Mm-hmm. Uh, people don't want to be put in boxes anymore. Uh, people want mm-hmm. to um, uh, cut across. Um, uh, denominations, uh, people of different Christian backgrounds, for example, um, will marry each other. So does that mean that the family must be Episcopalian uh, as opposed to Baptist? Mm-hmm. Or can you have one member uh, identifying with one of those denominations and another member with the other denomination? So we're seeing in American life in general um, a um, um, a pushback against uh people being placed into boxes. Uh, And the same thing is occurring in in American Judaism. And so there are growing numbers of Jews who will say, um, I I don't need to put a label on me. I'm just Jewish. Uh, I don't need to identify as a Reformed Jew or a conservative Jew uh, or even an Orthodox Jew. Uh, I'm just Jewish. Uh, And that has affected, of course, the, the... health and the vitality of denominations in Judaism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, wonderful. Thank you. Um, and one of my final questions is, it might sound like a silly question, but um, I feel it's appropriate. What is the new American Judaism? First of all, uh, the new American Judaism uh, is uh, faced with a series of challenges that, if they're not entirely unprecedented, are far more sharpened, far more extreme today, um, and things that we spoke, that you and I have spoken about already, this whole do-it-yourself understanding, um, the notion that uh, I, you know, I will identify what is meaningful to me in, in Judaism, and that will be good enough, um, uh, that um, 
judgmentalism, my suggesting to you that, no, you're not behaving as a good, in quotation marks, Jew, um, that's, uh, that's not going to fly anymore. Uh, but the other aspect of this is not only that that the challenges uh, are new, but um, the responses are new as well. Um, there are lots of new initiatives, and I, I've referred to them already. Um, and and while um, uh, people who are historically attuned may argue that um, these did not uh, develop. Uh, only in the, in the 21st century, that there were certain forerunners uh, to these developments. Um, uh, there is truth to, to that, uh, but they've taken on much more energy uh, in this century than was the case in the last century. And just to kind of recap, uh, what's new is the investment of synagogues in rethinking um, the religious service. Um, and how to go about doing that, the music, the choreography, um, the sense of community. These are things that I, I mentioned before. Um, Orthodox outreach, which didn't begin in the 21st century, but has taken off uh, in this century, just in terms of the sheer numbers of people involved in this. And then all these uh, religious startups, I didn't get into detail about them, but there are a variety of different types of religious startups. I mentioned some that meet in these offbeat places, but there are others that meet in far more conventional spaces and on a more regular basis, but they function without a formal clergy, without rabbis, without um, without cantors, um, individuals in the in, in the in the congregation, lead the services. Um, they deliver the sermon on their own. They don't rely upon professionals. In other words, um, that has taken off as well. Uh, so these are all aspects of of uh, of what I label as the New American Judaism. Um, and uh, there is a, an ongoing process of remixing and rethinking. Wonderful. Um, thank you so much. Um, well, we've taken up a lot of your time today and we're reaching the end of the interview. I have one final question for you. Would you be able to share with us what you're working on next? I'd be happy to do so. Um, I'm, uh, I'm working with a, a colleague um, on a book uh, uh, that, that's on the North American Jewish Day School. Um, and just to, uh, to explain very briefly, um, we are focused on the contemporary period. Uh, we are going into actual schools and we're trying, we will try to take readers into those schools, uh, to, um, demonstrate to them what, what these are all day uh, Jewish schools. Mm -hmm. uh, that's not to say that the that the the Jewish uh, piece dominates the entire day, but rather that significant time is devoted to Jewish studies as well as to what might be called general studies. Um, and uh, the way in which these schools are operating is vastly different from the way they had operated um, twenty years ago, let alone fifty years ago. Um, and um, to harken back to a theme that I've touched upon, they're also facing new types of challenges. Mm -hmm. And part of what we're interested in is how are they addressing those challenges? Oh, that sounds really fascinating. Are you focusing your study on a particular location, like schools in a particular city, or are you kind of doing it all, I, study all over? No, no, quite the contrary. We, we, uh, uh, we're going into nine different schools. Mm -hmm. Uh, one of them in fact is a school, uh, in Toronto. Oh, great. Um, uh, another, uh, and then there are schools in other parts of the country, West Coast, East Coast, South, uh, the South of the United States, uh, the Midwest. Um, so we're trying to, there have been some Jewish day schools that have gotten a lot of attention, have been a lot, uh, about a lot. We're trying to go into schools that uh, have not gotten that kind of attention um, to um, demonstrate that um, there's a lot that's good that's going on. Uh, in schools that don't necessarily draw uh, that kind of attention. Well, that's fascinating. And who, which, who are you working on with this? You mentioned you're working on this with a colleague. Uh, yes, uh, his my my colleague's name is Alex Pomson. Uh, he actually, for a period of time, uh, was a professor at uh, York University uh, in Toronto, um, uh, and uh, he now is based in Jerusalem, Israel. Uh, but he frequently travels to the United States. Well, that sounds fascinating. I'll have to keep an eye out for, for your work in the future. Um, 
Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us about your current research, uh, your, well, your most recent book. Um, the book, The New American Judaism, How Jews Practice Their Religion Today, published by Princeton U- University Press, is out now. Thanks again, Jack, for your time. It was, a great, uh, it was great to chat with you about your book. It was a pleasure talking with you. Thanks, Lindsay. Thank you.